Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. When it comes to your team, the news you can't live without comes live from the Crystal Glass Sports Desk. Only on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. It's 1234 in Edmonton. Quickly to a text on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Bob the Dentist says, thanks for the pregame pump-up, Mr. Stoffer. It's nice to hear some legit numbers and positive talk. That one comes to us from Bob the Dentist. Well, here's the thing. We're giving you numbers because the numbers are fairly positive in Edmonton. When you have 934 tests on over a 24-hour period and zero positive tests on COVID, that's a positive. If we were hosting a show called Canadians Now in Montreal, obviously they're in the middle of it, and it's not good there. And it would be a much different tone than Oilers Now, just in terms of, and hey, the whole league's got to work together, but there are parts of the British Columbia as a province has done a pretty good job. Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Red Deer North in Alberta. The numbers are pretty good. Obviously, Calgary continues to try to work away. They've had some challenges. And it's not like, I mean, there are certain advantages strategically. Population density, the amount of international flights, this has all played a factor. But the fact is, there's been roughly 5,000 tests done in Edmonton in the last week and seven, that's right, just seven positive tests during that stretch. There's only 65 active cases of COVID in the market. Two people in ICU out of 150 ICU beds in Edmonton. John Shannon joins us right now, our NHL insider. How you doing, John? Great, Bob. How are you? Good. You know how this uh, the proverbial news wheel works. I mean, we do updates on the half hour. Jalen Nye's coming up at 2 o'clock. She's going to have conversations around COVID. The global news hour from 6 to 7, more on COVID. It is the number one story. You watch CNN nonstop during the course of the day. Virtually every story is connected to COVID. I mean, you can have international incidents in Venezuela that get overlooked. You can have the Pentagon releasing photos of UFOs. That gets overlooked. But that's kind of how it works, isn't it, John? It is. Uh, and, and, you know, what's happened in the, in the all-news world is that it really has become 
I used to tell people we're not in broadcasting anymore. We're in narrowcasting. And and what people try to do is simplify the message down from 10 or 11 stories to two or three. And then when you have something that is all encompassing as as COVID-19, uh, then it becomes much easier to talk about uh, the aspects of, of the pandemic, particularly when you deal with you know, different jurisdictions. What uh, You talked about it. What's different in Edmonton that's different in in Toronto or in Winnipeg or in Halifax. Um, you know, it, uh, uh, it, it takes unbelievably catastrophic events like the RCMP shooting uh, in Nova Scotia to, to dominate the news. And even that isn't as long as it would in a normal news cycle. You know, uh, I consider mental health to be a, a significant issue and a real battle. And my heart goes out to anybody who's who's ever had to deal with uh, a loss in that regards. And I look at the numbers here in Edmonton over the last basically 10 weeks, and you know, with COVID. And I, I'm not naive to believe that there hasn't been, you know, potentially more people pass away at their own hands uh, as a result of mental health uh uh, challenges and uh, but so much of the focus and, and I guess when I get into Edmonton specific John like the news here on on COVID is pretty good and part of the whole focus was to flatten the curve so how do you and we're gonna we're, we'll get this from a, a micro Edmonton level into a macro NHL level in a second it, it you know it, it, it's gonna be really intriguing to me to see how things get opened up provincially here whether or not uh, Red Deer North gets opened up at a different stage than Red Deer South because of the ongoing challenges in places like Brooks and uh, High uh, High River and Calgary, uh, yeah. because you know because basically a, a strong argument can be made the objective from you know through Red Deer into into Northern Alberta in BC in Saskatchewan and in Manitoba to flatten that curve has occurred. Yeah, but the, the challenge becomes, uh, again, it goes back to jurisdictions in my mind. If, 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 as you suggested, that Red Deer North opens up at a different level than Red Deer South, what's to stop the people from Calgary and from Airdrie to drive to Edmonton to shop? And then all of a sudden, what are the issues there? I mean, part, part, it, we, we see it a great deal in the United States where you have, you know, 51 different jurisdictions below the federal government uh, and everybody trying to do it differently and the reality is, is is shouldn't we all be trying to do it as one in order because the, the, the you know the virus doesn't discriminate uh, it doesn't care where you live it doesn't care what happens uh, if you are exposed to it there's a good chance that uh, you will contract it and so that becomes the issue even on a micro level and on a macro level yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, there was studies done by uh, in California saying that they believe that actually 22 to 45 times the amount of people uh, had COVID that appeared to be asymptomatic than they originally thought, which would obviously yep. drop the death rate down considerably uh, for people that had the virus. I got to be honest with you, John. I don't mean to be... Um, 
I mean, I look at this and say, all right, maybe we can, you know, we all know, it, you know, provinces are slowly starting to open up. I, I, if I was in Quebec, I'd be a little bit more concerned than I am out here just because I know what the numbers are. And they got they got a battle on their hands there. Um, but I look at, you, you said it, it doesn't discriminate, but there tends to be a specific age group that... Uh, that, that get you know has more severe consequences and what made the spanish flu and influenza so different was who the age group that got pounded there and you know and we're going back 100 years here and i worry at some stage in the next 10 to 15 years if we have a pandemic like that that you know is is killing people 25 to 40 at a much greater rate than what we're seeing right now with primarily an older age group. Uh, like, I guess what I'm saying to you is, believe it or not, people, like the situation's good here in Edmonton, but I actually think you could have a worse pandemic than we're going through right now. Because we've had well, that I, history. I, I mean, I, I th- listen, I think what has happened uh, almost worldwide, uh, but the, the social distancing and uh, the, the closing of the economy I don't think there's any question that it has helped help flatten that curve to a great sure. extent. And the challenge becomes is, and and I, you know, when you think about Edmonton as good as it's been, uh, well, we have no, we have new, no new cases. Okay, let's open up. That becomes that becomes a real challenge for the mayor. It becomes a challenge for the premier right. on to how to figure out and what to do so not to allow the pandemic, the, the virus, to return. Yeah. So you you talked about all these different jurisdictions, and this is this is what the NHL is dealing with, John, on a daily basis. Is you have you have you have markets like Vancouver and Edmonton competing against each other to get one of the quote unquote pod locations if we are able to return to play, and they're in a completely different situations than several other markets in the National Hockey League. No question. And and. Uh... <laughs> You know, when you think about the amount of influences that are, that are uh, on Gary Bettman's desk between the health people that he talks to, he has, you know, the league has contracted a uh, an infectious disease expert that, that talks to the managers, talks to the owners on a regular basis, uh, and then the influences of both the two countries, how the two countries have managed it, uh, Health Canada uh, talking to the NHL versus... Uh, uh, you know the the uh, uh, the coronavirus uh, committee that uh, Donald Trump has set up. There are there are so many people talking to Gary Bettman, and then the pressure of the teams, because there are teams. Uh, as much as we say, well, you know, we're going to do what's best for the league and best for the for safety. There are teams that are probably saying we would prefer to do it this way. We want to play only in front of people. We don't want to play in, in empty buildings. You have to, at a certain point, the commissioner is going to have to weigh all these issues and all these items for the betterment of the of the the public, and then of of the of the league that uh, that is a business. Why is it important for the NHL? They've got a return to play committee with players represented to have a guy like Connor McDavid as one of those players. Well, I mean, I, I think that you need um, the, the most influential players on the ice to become influential players off the ice. And talk about previous labor disputes that changed the dime 
when very quietly Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux got involved. Uh, that really uh, the influence of the big names is so important to what players think uh, and uh, and what the, the league is itself thinks. I mean, it, and I'm not trying to demean certain players, but if you're a fourth-line right winger that plays four minutes the game and you're on the committee, uh, if Connery David sitting beside you saying, hey, listen, we've got an issue, then I think that is a heavier voice on that committee in order to make it uh, possible to understand where the players stand. John, we're going to have a little bit of fun right now. 1987 was one of my favorite years. The Oilers won the Cup, a redemption tour in many ways. Uh, the great moment where Steve Smith gets the Stanley Cup given to him by Wayne Gretzky. The Edmonton Eskimos won the Grey Cup, and Canada won the Canada Cup. Um, so if you're an Edmonton kid at that time, and I was, it's a pretty special year. I know you you worked a lot of those series uh, back in the day. Um that that '87 uh, championship, the the Flyers, and I know Sportsnet just rebroadcast it. You worked there for several years. I mean, that was a a, a pretty. Spe- that was the first Stanley Cup final to go seven games, John, since 1971. And I don't think everybody expected that, but it ended up happening. No, I mean that that was a that was a very special uh, uh, series for me. I produced that for uh, for global television. Our, our announcements were Dan Kelly, John Davidson, and Dave Hodge. It was it was an all-star team on the air, let alone what the Flyers and the uh, and the Oilers brought to the table. Face it, the Oilers were up three games to one. Flyers won games five and six. We actually produced game five at the Coliseum, and we thought, oh, Flyers win. There's no way the Oilers are going to lose in Philadelphia. Uh, and here, and, and they had a bunch of young kids. Rick Tockett was a kid. Scott Mellenby, Derek Smith. Uh, they had some vet players, but they. This was Mike Keenan's young team making a difference uh, for the uh, for the Flyers at that point in in May of that year, before they came back for Game Seven at the Coliseum that we were all lucky to be part of. I was also part of that. Uh, what I view in many ways. Uh, one of the two greatest Grey Cup games of all time, Bob, that Eskimo-Argonaut game at BC Place uh, was spectacular. Uh, that uh, that ended with the uh, the Eskimo full goal at the uh, at the end to win the game. Yeah, was that Tom Dixon that kicked the game? Or was it Jerry no. Corrick? It was Jerry Corrick, Jerry wasn't Corrick. it? Jerry yeah. Corrick. Joe Farragelli was the coach. It was, uh, it was an unbelievable time for the Eskimos. Yeah, it was uh, the gizmo return on the missed field goal, and uh, Damon oh. Allen basically helped rescue that game for the Eskimos. It was an awesome time. John, uh, you're breaking up a bit, but uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll hook up Wednesday or Thursday, okay? Okay, Bob. Talk to you soon. You bet. All right, 1247 in Edmonton. That's John Shannon, our NHL insider. Uh, let's go to uh, our text line at 780-496-0063. Sonny uh, in Vancouver says, any thoughts uh, to the restrictions that have been imposed leading to the low numbers in certain regions of Canada from Sunny in Vancouver? Well, I think BC's done a real good job because BC was at a disadvantage, and I'll tell you why out of the gate. Um, BC has a lot of international travel. And I, I think that if you see where the caseload came from, uh, I, I think that the BC Health has to be credited for, for the numbers that they have. In a perfect world, they would test more. I'm not sure why they've tested half, half as much as Alberta, but uh, th- their overall caseload 
uh, is less than 50%. I mean, they have fewer than 50% of positive cases. So BC's done a real good job. Again, I think in Edmonton's cases, uh, Edmonton's case, maybe Winnipeg and Saskatoon, uh, I'd make a strong argument that, you know, these prairie provinces benefit. Uh, they don't have as much pollution. Uh, they're more spread out. Population density probably plays a factor. And, frankly, the citizens have to get some credit. They've locked her down. They've helped it out. We'll get to more thoughts on that. It's 1249 at Edmonton. Bob Stoffer, Cody Jansen with you on Oilers Now. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chat. Welcome back, everybody. It's 1251 at Edmonton. Glenn Gullitson coming up. It'll be... Hockey talk, 105 to uh, 125. Reed Wilkins at uh, 135. I have no idea where the conversation is going to go with Reed. That's kind of how it works sometimes. During the season, all season long, the Oilers Now Injury Report is brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. James H. Brown, Jim Brown, Trent Brown. Trent, a, uh, probably the best safety the Eskimos have had over the last 30 years. 93 Grey Cup champion, all-star safety. They just want to wish you and yours the best and to stay positive during these challenging times. All right, to the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Okay, if you're one of the people that think we should just lock everything down until we have a vaccine and nobody should go out of the house, I'm giving you a chance right now. You don't have to listen to the next 35 seconds of the show. Because I got a text you're not going to like. So I'm giving you an opportunity. If you don't want to hear it, if you want to put your hands on your ears, this is your heads up. Former defenseman Mark has texted us. Here we go. This is his take. Let's be honest about the death toll on this pandemic. It's insignificant. It's the equivalent of the annual flu, says former defenseman Mark. Now, many would argue that, Mark. I know it's not insignificant if you've lost family or friends. But otherwise, does it matter? I would argue, says former defenseman Mark, that if my 86-year-old father or 75-year-old mother passed due to COVID, it would matter to our family and their friends, but otherwise, nobody else would care. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but we as a society need to grow up, says former defenseman Mark. We need to stop virtue signaling. I'm sick of hearing how this is our World War II. It is not, says former defenseman Mark. The people that walk the street nowadays couldn't even fathom that kind of sacrifice. That one comes to us from former defenseman Mark. Ah, wow. Interesting perspective. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of you listening to the show right now, as an example, that have seen video of going over the top, like in 1916 in World War One, and going, oh, man, I can't even fathom being in that position. How many of you have seen video or have gone to places like Auschwitz and said, how in the hell could a society do that to one another? This is, when you put it in perspective to that, chump change. Uh, Paul says, agree. Another texter says, Mark is right. 
This text comes in. Bob, pontificate on a season next year with no fans, as that is the most likely scenario. Why increase risk in January 2021 than when the surge would be coming? Will they play for a season with no fans? Well, I guess you got to hope on science or partial fans or something. I don't have that answer for you right now. I do not have that answer. This text comes in, former defenseman Mark fails to understand that the rate at which people are infected is intrinsically linked with the behavior of society. Well, there is that perspective out there. Um, Bob, there are countries in Europe side by side like Sweden and Finland, one that closed down and one that didn't, and their infection states uh, inf- infection stats are almost identical. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's do that for you. Let's let's look up those numbers. So uh, if you go to worldometers.com, the, the Sweden, what's interesting with Sweden is their death rate is is higher than Finland by a considerable amount, so much so that I have to scroll way down on this website. Sweden right now um, has a uh, their cases per million, 2,641 per million, and their deaths per million are 322. That's 322 per million. I think Sweden's got about 10 million people. Canada, by the way, is at 132 per million. Now, you can make an argument that this thing hit Europe before it hit North America. That's probably fair. I'd have to scroll. What was it, 332 for Sweden? Uh, The death rate, I know, for Finland is uh, 49 per million for Finland. And in terms of caseload per million, Finland's at 1,080. Sweden's at 2,641. So two and a half times the case rate and the death rate was significantly uh, greater. So they're not actually, sorry, the, the numbers would suggest that actually Finland's numbers are way better than Sweden's numbers. Again, you can just go to worldometers.info uh, backslash coronavirus. Canada, it's it's regional, and I think part of it has to. Some people have s- said that uh, you know, population density combined with lifestyle habits combined with pollution would increase the probability of you getting this. So uh, hey, and the other thing is, it's a moving uh, it's a moving target. I mean, we get more information each. What appeared to be justified in terms of the approach ten weeks ago. Maybe we've learned a lot more about it since then. I think that's fair. I think most of you get that fundamentally. Alberta was uh, looking at a worst-case scenario when it laid out. I think April 8th was when they laid out the initial, you know, when the, when's the height of this going to be? And they were concerned. You know, there was, would they have enough ICU beds in the province? Well, here we are on May the 11th, and there's two people in ICU beds in Edmonton out of 150. So, obviously, things are probably going okay here. There's... Nine people out of 3,000 hospital beds in the city, nine people in for uh, COVID-related situations. And I know there's lots of you that have relatives that have got heart issues, uh, have got different types of cancer. There's people that have had elective surgeries canceled. We already briefly hit on the mental health challenges. These are these are tough times and not easy discussions. And they do tie back into what's going to happen with the National Hockey League moving forward. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to end up playing and having a... Uh, conclusion to this season. I don't know when we're going to start next season. I don't know if there's going to be fans at the game. Simply don't have those answers. 
I do know the numbers that get provided if you do some digging. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And then the man that had the number one power play in the National Hockey League when we had the pause. We're going to talk to Glenn Gullitson, who is in his second year as Oilers assistant coach. This is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.